Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Today we're going to be taking a look at Wizard Magazine, issue number 48, August 1995. But first I want to let you guys know that it's on and popping. Cartoonist Kayfabe comic book Christmas in July is coming the very last Saturday of July this year. There will be more information on that later, but the idea is that we as creators have a bunch of uh, comp copies. And as Cartoonist Kayfabe hosts, we have a lot of comic book duplicates running around uh, in, in the studio here. We're taking these comics and we're going to put them in those free little libraries around town. You know the ones. You see them popping up in your neighborhood and neighboring townships and stuff. Go there. Drop uh, as many comics into those little libraries as you can. We need to spread the readership of comics. Don't be a douche and just go grab uh, a whole bunch of free comics without putting your own comics into those little libraries. And Jimmy came up with this idea for a really cool little printout to include with the stuff that he's that we're going to be popping into these libraries. Uh, explain the piece, Jimmy. Yeah, you want to make new comic book readers, so include a uh, little half sheet or so of where they can find more comics if they like the comics that you put in those lending libraries. Uh, I listed our library. We have a good library system for graphic novels. I listed comic book stores. Um, but, you know, post whatever uh, information makes sense based on where you're located. If people want more comics, where can they find them easily in your neighborhood? And uh, maybe a shout out to Cartoonist Kayfabe if, uh, if they're looking for more comics conversation. We're going to see a new dimension call out in uh, the pages of Wizard Magazine. Let's see if we remember uh, where that is, man. Also, like, follow, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you. When these new vids are available and that mitigates the kayfabe effect which is what happens when we talk about comics we put the video out in the morning by midday early afternoon sometimes the stuff we talk about can't find it on uh on the aftermarkets man uh, also when you watch these videos to the very end that'll push the vids out to comic book loving youtube viewers who have not yet subscribed to the channel and we are uh, growing our numbers robustly but that doesn't mean we're going to sit on our laurels and just uh be okay with that we need more Without further ado, Jimmy, let's take another look at a uh, Wizard Magazine with another Jim Ballant cover drawing another Catwoman, but it's a different issue. I swear to God, it was two issues ago. Uh, it was almost the same pose. <laughs> it's always almost the same pose. <laughs> <laughs> this time we have an inclusion of a couple other chicks. I feel like you're seeing the uh, the bad girls ascend yes. because we're going to see it in the top 10 hottest books. You're yes. going to see like she and Lady Death. Uh, in those lists, but uh, Balance certainly one of these bad girl artists, so we're seeing more and more of these covers. I feel like it goes back to that Gen 13 cover. Yeah. There was an X-Women cover, and uh, yeah, why not, man? Whatever sells. Comic Zone, man. The Last Hurrah, the Genesis Sega. I remember this is like one of the very last games that a homeboy of mine scooped up, and uh, we we got kicked out of the Weeblos, man, and, and just decided to play video games and draw comics all the time, and this was one of them. Also, it looks like Angus McKee did the lettering there, man. Like, he would use he that font. He may have. <laughs> Doesn't it look like his font? Yeah, I was going to ask you about this game because it's it's one that I never played. Yeah. Um, but kind of interesting as a comics At least it sounds interesting as a comics fan. So so many of my my video games had, like, some sort of comic theme, if, if not just a, a pen and ink designed label or an in-front cover. But this one is pretty fresh, man. you got to, like, go through the gutters. <laughs> and uh, you, if I remember, you have like this little pet rat or something. Yeah, there you see the rat on top of the yes. comic zone thing, and you could send him like across the the to the next panel to like flick a switch to like make some Rube Goldberg thing happen, so you could get into the next panel or page. 
It sounds interesting. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I don't know if it makes for a good game, but it certainly sounds interesting. Isn't that the most 90s looking character totally. ever, man? With the Sulat with the ponytail? It's everything. He has that, that leather studded bracelet on, the fingerless gloves. Sweater vest. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's uh, definitely a 90s vibe there. You gotta have those... Uh, it was impossible to wear shorts that don't go past the knee. <laughs> John Cena would be happy with those. Keith Giffen on punks, man. Something about taking his trencher style and adding some black to it really makes it sing. And, and the color works well with this. Yeah, I think punks looks good. Uh, we'll have to check out some of those issues at some point. Harris Comics, though. Dropping some money on some, some uh, early ads. Vengeance of Vampirilla, though, to go to that point of, uh, you know, the, these bad girl comics. And, uh, you know, you turn the page there and we see John Byrne Wonder Woman in the table of contents real big. So, yeah, the uh, definitely that trend is alive and well at this point. Some of the last Jay Lee from this period looking artwork yeah. uh, would show up on uh, the techno comics. Uh, Unfortunately, it's almost like a late period uh, Muhammad Ali fight or something. Look at how bad this is, though. They're flipping the image. So this guy's holding a gun, but because it's a, a mirrored image, the gun itself is cut off. Yeah. Like, how, how do you publish that? If you're the, <laughs> like, you know, I'm being serious. Like, that's that's terrible. What editor would go, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter that the gun doesn't exist, that it just melts uh, <laughs> right. together. Like, is the book about mirrors? Like, makes no sense, that ad, visually. Um, I want to call attention to this from the top page. I just want to offer our condolences to uh, Patrick McCallum's family. Uh, I saw yesterday on Twitter that he's apparently passed. Longtime wizard um, editor in chief. I, you know, he's credited in what I read as being sort of the at least co-creator of Wizard with Garib Seamus, and then a longtime DC editor after they left. He left Wizard, so uh, you know, condolences to his uh, fans and, and fan friends and family out there. Ten bell salute, man. Looking at this Teddy Christensen, Sandman Midnight Theater ad, man, this is an iconic image to me. Whenever we were doing those, those workshops in Denmark, uh, I stayed out there for for a month one time, where I did two weeks with the one class that we're familiar with, and then two weeks with like uh, the the fresh class, and he was kind of doing the same thing. So I got to spend some time with the dude, and just hear his philosophy and, and see some of the stuff he was working on. Notoriously slow. Uh, and I, I'm not so sure that that endeared him to uh, the American comic editors, but man, I thought his work was super sharp. Yeah, he did that Superman book I always think of when I think of Teddy Christensen. Um, I can't remember the name of it, Up in the Sky, or It's a Bird, or something or other, but uh, yeah, definitely a guy who's had some some hits through DC Comics, if, if nothing else. Did he do some Grendel at some point with Matt Wagner, too? That sound familiar? I feel like I, I remember seeing him on Grendel at yeah, some point. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, definitely an interesting style. One of those guys like nobody else's work looked like his. Little controversy yes. in, in the, uh, the the pa the pages of Wizard, and uh, this has transcended uh, this issue of Wizard magazine. Uh, we're talking about uh, Wolverine issue number eighty-eight, uh, penciled by Adam Kubert and a fellow named uh, Fabian La La Laguna or something like that, uh, and this. Letter writer, man, very observant young young fella who noticed that there's a whole lot of Jim Lee cribbed poses uh, from uh, from this co this comic. And the editor is definitely saying stuff about how how um, swiping is, is a long tradition in comics, but there's like ways to do it. And uh, it's this guy's talking about wizard issue number 88. But you if you type in wizard i mean 
Wolverine 88. Issue 89 also, they're the most cribbed, uh, swiped issues in, in comics history, and it is blatant to the point of, like, the Wolverine from X-Men issue number one, like the, the Jim <laughs> Lee thing, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of uh, very apparent swipes uh, in that thing. I wonder how much the editors were pushing that direction. Because it's like, here's the here's Jim Lee, like, you know, the biggest selling comic book artist in the history of Marvel. It wouldn't surprise me if those editors are like, hey, draw like Jim, draw more like Jim Lee. And this guy's like, fine, you want Jim Lee? Yeah. I'll give you Jim Lee. Yeah, totally. Totally, man. And I do like the, to see the like the little examples. Of course, as a kid, there was like such heresy to, to see such a thing, man. But I actually don't give a fuck. This is Comics Journal, you know, like yeah. they would run the swipe file in Comics Journal as well, and it was the same stuff where they'd run the panels side by side. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty damning when you see it like this. If anything, though, man, it uh, really speaks to the forward momentum of comic book coloring. Uh, something about the, the image modeling with the color really makes this Marvel stuff look super generic. Yeah, for sure. Very boring. Pretty much a big piece from from the from the letters page there. And pull anything else specifically. Have you ever heard of this machine works? No, I haven't, man. Uh, I I see like that looks like a Sienkiewicz. It is a Sienkiewicz signature. I, I have no idea what this is, and uh, I didn't Google it, but it's Motown Animation, 1995, and uh, Countdown continues with five here. I've never heard of this before. Yeah. I don't know if we're gonna see more Countdown numbers or not. It'd be funny to speak to uh, Sienkiewicz about this because there there is an old scam in in comic books where these guys will get you know a $200 commission from yeah. a cartoonist like at the show and little did they know the cartoonist that this drawing that they did is going to be the cover of a comic book and uh you know their name is going to be used and exploited and stuff like that the best way to support cartoonist kayfabe is to buy the comics that Ed Piscor and I make Red Room Trigger Warnings 1 through 4 is in stores now while supplies last. Every Red Room comic is self-contained story, so whatever issue your comic shop has is a great place to start. There's also Red Room, the Antisocial Network, collecting the first season of Red Room, available now wherever comics are bought and sold, except for 28 countries where it is banned and about 10 comic shops where it's banned, but you can still request it, they can still get it for you, and you can pick up Hulk Grand Design by me, two double-sized issues retelling the 60-year history of the Incredible Hulk in one coherent story, featuring my art, writing, color, letters, uh, the Grand Design treatment, so to speak. So pick these comics up wherever you buy comics and support Cartoonist Kayfabe. And now back to our regular scheduled programming. Envelope art, man. We got we got a big one here, dude. Frank Cho, Beltsville, Maryland. Uh, who does not win? Yeah, and I'll tell you what. I really like his Spider-Man. Like, that head is so believable in perspective. It's a weird detail to point out, but it just really looks good. Yeah. Yeah. And at, at this point, I was trying to figure. Cho, I think, is born in... Uh, I think he's like 24 at this point. I think he's born in like 70, 71 maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was trying to figure out like where he would have been. Like I think he'd had some some real experience at this point because I think he was doing comics through like college and stuff. So if he's in his early to, to mid 20s, I think he's a working cartoonist at this point. Yeah, Liberty Meadows starts in two years uh, from, from this point. But I mean, the kid, the kid has shops. Yeah, that's a, that's a good looking cover or a good looking envelope, I should say. Jurgens on the new Spidey title, dude. Uh, this is one of those things. Basically, like when you first saw Jim Ross show up in uh, WWF, 
or Jerry Lawler shows up in the WWF, man, uh, what was it, WrestleMania number eight, it just didn't feel, it didn't feel right. It was a, it was a big move, man. Like, Jurgens firmly implanted as a DC guy in so many people's minds, man, uh, on the strength of stuff like the death of Superman. They did some uh, some wife swap in those big companies, man. And, and you know, Ron Friends would be drawing Spider-Man. I mean, Ron Friends would be drawing uh, Superman. Yeah, it's like an ex talent exchange. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a classier way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I remember whenever this happened. Klaus Janssen inking Jurgens, not a bad team, but maybe that's true of Klaus Janssen inking anyone. Uh, but it's funny to see a totally different artist uh, doing the Spider-Man that we're going to attach Janssen's head to. But I guess no... Uh, Jan Jurgens head too. I guess no Jurgens uh, Spider-Man art may be available at this point as this uh, news item just just shows up. But yeah, it was kind of a weird thing, you know. I he had always been a DC guy my entire reading history at this point, so it was kind of strange. Looking at little feet. And also getting to go to uh, Marvel's big guy like that's a that's a good move I think professionally. Getting his own title, a number one. Hey, you know what? Before you turn the page, one note on that left-hand ad. There are so many card ads yeah. in this issue. So there's one, and, uh, you know, kind of, you want to play the drinking game this issue? Drink to the card ads. Sure. Because this issue is ludicrous. There might be more card ads than comic book ads. I think at this point, uh, Wizard has that other magazine called Inquest that's all about card games and things, man. And, you know, there'll be Marvel card games. Like, every big property had had a card game. Uh, and obviously stuff like Pokemon that comes later like really keeps that energy going, man. Uh, it's official. Bone is going to Image Comics, man. Uh, the writing is on the wall with the, with, the, with the big publishers. And there will be a forthcoming article here talking about how DC is going exclusive with Diamond. Uh, Marvel has already bought out Heroes World and is going to be doing their own distribution. Uh, so the little indies have to really try to figure out how to make things work for themselves. Getting an image eye put on your comic probably will not hurt things. I look at this, there, there's a couple of mentions of this fallout, you know, the distribution more fallout throughout these news items. Todd McFarlane's column talks about Bone coming to image and, and more about that. Distribution fallout. In my mind, historically, this is the biggest thing that happens in the 90s post-image. Yeah. And uh, the way it's covered in here is so less than I expect. At some point, I'm sure they're going to kind of recognize the magnitude of it, but it's very like uh, these little details of the ramifications, you know, bone going to image being one of those, but it doesn't have that sense yet of like, this is, it destroys comics as we know them. Yeah. And uh, so far, it feels like either everybody's afraid to say that, or maybe they're optimistic that that's not going to be the outcome. But there are stories in this issue where people reference like this or that issue. Batman Punisher, there's a John Romita interview in here and he talks about how that book did not sell. If it had come out a year ago, it would have sold a million. So, you know, things are obviously on this downslide and people are aware of it, but maybe they're not aware of just how extreme it's going to get. At one point, uh, the Hildebrandt brothers were never in my mind. And then at a certain point, thanks to Wizard, couldn't escape them. And, right. and then in those like 90s comics, I think they did a whole run of uh, like X-Men cards or maybe just Marvel at large type of type cards. Uh, there's interviews with those guys in here. They they really pushed these these Hildebrandt bros and Joe Q and uh, Jimmy Palmiotti. They're real juiced in with the with the wizard network and stuff like that. And so like, yeah, they're they're going to they're going to get the Hildebrandt bros in on the mix. Uh, issue number five of Ash. It's this thing where the bros are 
painting a character that they created called Covenant, and the uh, team of Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Casada are going to be drawing everything else around it. I might have this issue. I think I have it. I think I just got it too recently in like a dollar bin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I got the precursor issues. I swear to God, I don't remember seeing, like, some fly like painted uh, villains. So we got to dig those out, and that might be an interesting show until item for us to take a look at. Yeah, definitely. Hughes reduces ghost workload, uh, which is funny because on a previous episode uh, they were really trumpeting uh, <laughs> Adam Hughes's artistic chops on the forthcoming Ghost uh, miniseries, but we know the speed of, of that guy's pen, and we, even back then, I swear to God, you knew it wasn't going to last. He made it all of two issues <laughs> before... Uh, this before, happened a lot. This, this felt, feels like a 90s move. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah, sell the sizzle, no steak kind of thing, man. Uh-oh, you mean we gotta, gotta actually do the, do the work? Um, he'll compromise by doing little bridge sequences uh, in the front and back of the issues, and they'll get, they'll get some, some extra talent to, to do the middle pieces. I, I remember being very underwhelmed by Ghost, although I think there was a Ghost Hellboy crossover. So, uh, Mignola, you know, doing a favor for uh, Dark Horse maybe with that. But I wonder if a guy like Adam Hughes starts doing this book and is underwhelmed like I am, and is just like, you know what, this is not how I want to spend my time. Right. I do, like, this is very instructive to see that sure. he had this little mannequin with, you know, a little bath towel on its head. Uh, to just realize that you don't have to just make this shit up squarely out of your mind, man. You could see how drapes fold and it's not cheating. Like, like no. I, I needed that reminder. Mildly creepy, but not cheating. Sure, sure. Listen, <laughs> we're, we're all pros here. Absolutely. Hey, last note on this spread. Paper hikes, uh, pressure comic prices. Everything just repeats. Yeah. You know, like paper shortages and stuff in the 90s. What's going on? I didn't pull out a lot of standouts for like company updates. One, um, one fun thing is in Caliber, I uh, get to know two Caliber titles when AKA Goldfish Joker, the newest installment of the AKA Goldfish crime drama series uh, is mentioned. But to this day, uh, as per these issues, the name Brian Michael Bendis is not mentioned. Uh, they, they talked about Goldfish or some other one of these you know, jinx or something mm -hmm. like that in a previous Caliber Press release, but still never the man's name. And that's that's a noteworthy little piece, man, just because we know what his influence on yeah, that's true. future future Marvel comics and such uh, will be. Um, up top, there it is, Phase 2, DC and Diamonds exclusive agreement. Uh, it's a bit different than the Marvel deal, because DC isn't flat out trying to buy Steve Jeppy's stuff, man. Jeppy, Tony Soprano of comic books, man, he knows that uh, if you control distribution, then you're going to be making some money, so he, he probably... Uh, he didn't get the offer that he couldn't refuse from, from DC Comics. Or maybe DC Comics is just like, maybe we're not in the business of order fulfillment. And we don't want to be. So they will work with uh, this independent, privately owned company uh, run by Jeppy. And of course, Jeppy, minority uh, owner of uh, Baltimore Orioles, didn't do bad for himself. Yeah, there's one note in here that wasn't clear to me. So here's, here's the quote. Unlike the previous arrangement where DC sold comics to several distributors who in turn sold them to retailers, DC will be selling directly to stores with Diamond providing services to DC such as solicitation, packing, shipping, and collections. So a little bit of, I don't know, something being moved around there, a little, a little change in how they're conducting business, I suppose. 
there's also um, there was always that story that DC had some kind of agreement with Diamond that if Diamond were to I don't know, go out of business or stop selling operating or whatever that DC would buy Diamond I used to hear that all the time I don't know if that's something that comes out of this and I don't know the particulars on that either it was something that I've heard retailers talk about as like uh, <laughs> some kind of reassurance that comics aren't just going to disappear if something went wrong with Diamond but I don't know it's not mentioned here so Maybe it's an order thing. Maybe it's not a thing at all. Brian Hibbs mentioned it as being a new member of the CBLDF. Dark Horse Comics get, getting the G.I. Joe license for a minute. I remember they published like a very short little series of G.I. Joe comics that kind of didn't look like G.I. Joe comics. There might have been a Frank Miller cover on one of them. Issue, issue number one. Um, and but of course apparently that's not a success. Bought, yeah, garbage. Garbage. Like, like, um, like all G.I. Joe comics moving forward pretty much. Eisner joins kitchen sink board. Uh, that's a whole big article about a whole bunch of nothing, man. Like board, like like it's a real company. Well, it's whenever uh, kitchen sink starts being acquired by investment groups, like essentially going down the tubes, you know. See, see our Scott McCloud shoot interview with a little bit of intel about what he has to say about those fellas. And uh, the forthcoming Dropsy Avenue will be with uh, with kitchen sink. So. I totally remember grabbing that thing after seeing it in Wizard. Yeah, really cool to see like the uh, some of his books called out there. Is uh, I don't know how many graphic novels he does up to this point. Thirteen, 13 graphic novels. So uh, I don't know. Halfway through his graphic novel run, you know, <laughs> at this point, pretty interesting. Drink up, Waterworld cards. <laughs> <laughs> Punks gets another call out. You buy that front page ad, you get a little uh, news shout out. <laughs> Quid pro quo, I think they call it. Yeah, yeah. By the way, because payola is illegal. Uh, another shot for your Empire Strikes Back cards. Yeah. Up and coming, Killian Plunkett. Looking at that piece of art, it is very small, but man, it looks strong. He was good. I remember him for. I think he did an Unknown Soldier Vertigo series with uh, early two thousands, late late nineties, something like that. Is is one of the stories that I remember reading of his. Did some Corman comics, The Little Shop of Horror. So that's kind of fun. The evolution of the female comic book character has been long and tough, and many believe it's not over yet. Yeah, it gives some origins of like Wonder Woman's beginnings. Um, I think those are pretty well documented. There's a documentary about the creator of Wonder Woman, an interesting guy, psych psychologist, and uh, worth your time if you're interested in that origin, but an unusual character in every way you can think of compared to that kind of Superman, Batman model in, in the traditional DC publishing at that time. Um, talking about Lois Lane's evolution and how, you know, at first her name wasn't even good enough for the, the cover. It had to be Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. But also talking about her character as a reporter. I actually think Lois Lane as a reporter is a, uh, a really good character for any fiction. And um, Batgirl, this is just history of these characters. Invisible Woman, her influence on the uh, ongoing evolution of these characters. Marvel's mom, the Invisible Woman, uh, makes a spend some time on having her name change from invisible girl to invisible woman after she was the mother of two <laughs> uh, yeah john, john burns very very proud of that one uh, mary jane she hulk i was thinking of doing i have burns she hulk number one might be a book we cover at some points now's probably the timely timely uh to do it uh catwoman you know going through some again these strong characters and then bad girls gets their uh beginning coverage here if you will and I, I think it's been building it's probably where this article comes from is the interest in the bad girl comics and you see lady death there is uh i guess the the poster child for that jimmy role. we already we already spent too much time on that article man <laughs> learn from the pros <clears throat> this is good stuff this is one of these issues that uh 
always kind of stuck in my head and was part of my impetus for for deciding to like look at these wizard things because this was the only little bits of professional inside baseball that, that I would get at a certain point, man. And the idea here is in the subheading, man, 10 tips and suggestions from the industry's top writers on how to improve your comic book writing skills, man. Uh, number one, make every word count. John Burns in, in the mix talking about the verbosity of the, uh, the amateur creator and uh, can certainly concur. Yeah, definitely. I think I agree with all of these points. There's a couple that are whack, man, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, and I and make me think of uh, some of the deficiencies in, in Jobber comics. Uh, have something to say. Point of view. That makes sense. Yes. I totally get that. Dream big, think small. And, of course, uh, K. Fabian Nicieze weighs in and is like, uh, you know, everybody wants to do big, bombastic epic he describes right the x-men versus fantastic four versus galactus right away it's absurd to think you could sell that maybe true but what he's also talking about is like uh tease things out almost like the writing for the trade kind of thing that would that comes into vogue uh in the future and uh to me it's uh it's being withholding uh to to the audience man uh this the the lee kirby comics where they're inventing new stuff every issue and uh, always coming at you with like Kirby's always trying to throw his fastball and he gets to be Jack Kirby uh, these withholding writers who are slowly doling stuff out you know I was just on a panel ho hosting a panel with Chris Claremont and Louis Simonson and he was talking about you know doing that sort of thing is basically the only uh, shot at any kind of like job security that, that a writer can have is to like leave some little dangling pl plot threads and stuff uh admitting that it's 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 a move you know and it has less to do with story and more to do with having a job Kay fabian also says you know dream big have these big ideas but do personal character related stories um i think that's a good thing to keep in mind like there's so much stuff you do if you're successfully writing yeah. you know you're doing like 10 of these things that you're, you're doing really all of these things at once mm -hmm. and uh that that character piece i thought is uh is a good thing on that think small scale like yes galactus intergalactic whatever but also who's actually doing the fighting like, sure like spend make sure you get that part across because it's important excite your artist man uh, i love that I, th I think it was uh in the, that neil gaiman master class he described that that the comic script is a letter to the artist and there are examples of his scripts, like in some of those Sandman trade paperbacks, maybe even stuff like the Absolute Sandmans will have those inclusions. But uh, it's almost like, you know, Neil Gaiman is, is writing a book that only you get to read, you know, and uh, reading those scripts is a pleasure and very visually evocative. Uh, that is inspiring. Um, I've seen uh, some dudes put stuff out, out on online uh talking about how they have the greatest job ever and and it would be um a little screen capture of, of their script and it will say uh something like penguin in the sewer with a bunch of penguins and that was the entire <laughs> description to the artist the idea being that the artist is gonna like he couldn't wait to see what the artist is gonna put forth but you know alan moore wouldn't write that yeah, excite your artist is something I think you can look at comics and see probably some scripts that did not excite the artist. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I like this note, and I think that's one that maybe 
Add that back to your writing quill, everybody. <laughs> Start big. Chuck Dixon talking about that. That first scene is going to be a big one. And after uh, after reading this article, when you look at a Chuck Dixon comic, there's usually a very evocative splash page that uh, very often guns guns uh, facing somebody or some sort of peril will be seen in that initial splash page. Yeah, I, I it, it's hard to imagine not starting big. Yeah, you know, you see it in screenwriting things too, like the first ten minutes of your movie, like. But I I can't remember the comic. Just recently, I remember opening a comic. And just the most boring page one I've ever seen and thinking like why would you do this to yourself right pace yourself uh, this is one of those that we've been looking at some comics that where you could tell that they uh, they ran out of pages and had to like tie that story up real quick at the end uh, so you get a little bits of descriptions from various writers on how they plot out and and spread out their, their issues worth of material uh, but burn has a 22 page template uh, on his on his computer, types out a few sentences describing each pa play, page. That's literally how I did the Hulk Rand design. Yeah, sure. And uh, seven, explain your characters. You know what? I have one thing. The, yeah. the, the biggest disagreement I have in this whole article is under the pace yourself. And it's a uh, James Robinson says, he has one rule of thumb. I try to place my money shots on the left-hand page. I want the reader to turn the page and be surprised. So here's my disagreement with this. If you're doing a surprise, yes, definitely on the left-hand page. If you're doing a money shot and it's not a surprise, I say go for the right. In traditional publishing, that right-hand page, that's what advertisers pay for. Pay attention to the number of ads on the right-hand page. And this wizard, as we flip through, when I worked in advertising, it costs more for that right-hand page in some publications. So that's a really valuable piece of real estate. And if you're flipping through a book quickly, it's the right-hand page is what you're going to see. I try to put money shots on the right-hand page. Again, if it's not a surprise, if it's not a story thing that you're giving away, put a good shot on that right-hand page when you get the chance because that's the page that's going to pop whenever you're flipping through it. Yeah. Explain your characters. This is the dicey proposition. This is the part that separates the champs from the chumps in a lot of ways because how do you sell your character to a, to a new audience but also weave it in a way where it's not just flat-out exposition yes we don't want to read a page about wally wood all the races that he's won but fastest man alive get cool. in get out <laughs> keep keep it rocking i like the uh the wolverine example i'm wolverine i'm the best there is at what i do i used to be a secret agent i used to be a hero now i'm drunk <laughs> <laughs> uh eight you gotta vary those dialogue patterns man it's uh, each of these characters has a different brain and they should have a different uh, speech pattern, patois, knowledge base, level of experience. You know what else? They do a good job in this article of actually talking to a bunch of writers. They do. We've mentioned uh, Kay Fabian Nicieza, John Ostrander, James Robinson, Jeff Smith, Joe Duffy, Mark Wade. Like, they really do a good job from a reporter stamp. Stan Lee weighs in on this. Yeah. Uh, before we go to number nine, let's take a look at this sidebar, how to sell it. So it is basically giving you some scoop on, okay, you have a script ready to go. Now what do you do with it? Here's what you do with it, man. You got to reach out to some editors. You got to have a concise little little uh, opener and keep your synopsis, all that stuff kind of light. You know, these guys, you're, you're buying seconds of this editor's time and they have none to spare. So with everything that you send, you got to buy a little extra time and 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 uh, excite them a little bit more to just kind of stick with it to the point that they actually finish your thing and then maybe you, you'll get a chance listen to criticism this is something that uh, uh, 
tough to do for a lot of people, man. A lot of excuse making. When yes. you, uh, a lot of explaining yourself. When uh, these these uh, editors are dressing you down, and uh, matters little what what you what your intention was. Yeah, and it may matter a lot how you respond <laughs> because yeah. when you're working with an editor, even as a pro, you're going to get critical feedback. So uh, they may not want to work with the person who can't hear anything. Don't pitch the X Men. <laughs> uh, you know, so start small. There, there, uh, there actually were some starting points uh, at at the the big two at this point, man. Uh, Marvel's What If, DC, DC's Showcase, there was Marvel Comics Presents. Do some eight pagers. You know, there were still still annuals coming out with you know two three yep. backup stories each each uh, edition. Link with an artist. This is more of the uh, the kind of uh, independent comics route, man, where you can actually present a comic that that is fully realized um you know and there, there were places back then like you know uh caliber had negative burn and other little anthologies where you could do that sort of thing be a solution of course man uh this is this is a rule of life like rather than looking for uh you know somebody who's gonna like fill your gaps man maybe, maybe you can uh create some value and be valuable to somebody else and they could see a need to actually put you in, into play I think that's really good. The The writer's job is to make the editor's life easier. I don't know if that's really the writer's job, but do make the editor's life easier. Like, we've all been on both sides of, like, working with people. You want to work with the person who makes it easy. Make your communication clear. Deliver what is expected. Like, I know it sounds obvious, but teaching for 10 years, let me tell you, it's not obvious to people. Like, yeah. you want to make the, the collaborator you're working with make it smooth don't make them have to dig up software to open up your attachment you know like like <laughs> that sounds very personal easy <laughs> keep at it be persistent uh, the good chance you're not going to get a yes the very first go go around uh todd mcfarland famously has those 700 rejection slips that he shows off in his monograph uh be persistent you got to keep at it i think breaking in as a writer seems really difficult yeah i can't imagine i can't imagine Number nine, find your own style. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. Be, be your own guy. Me of number two, having something to say. You know, like I think this is voice and point of view, and, and really doing, looking at something the way you look at it. Bring that to the table. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's a scary proposition for a new guy co coming in. Uh, when you when you're a kid, when you're getting started, I, I want to make comics like Jaime Hernandez. I want to make comics like Frank Miller. And you realize that you don't have any of their life experience. You don't have any of their knowledge base. You're coming from your own unique perspective. Got to make uh, make your own comics. Number ten, the closer. Be ready to compromise. Uh, you can't be a fanboy about this stuff, man. Uh, when Uncle Howard Chaikin and, and Klaus Janssen were given those those clinics to the Marvel uh, offices, the very first day was spent on. Uh, Howard Chaykin slapping the fanboy out of these fucking kids, man, and saying, yeah, yeah, okay, you love the characters, but now you're a professional. Now you have to act like a professional. Your editor is not your friend. They're your business partner. Uh, you you know, you might have to draw Squirrel Girl, and you got to draw it to the best of your ability, uh, all of that sort of stuff. Now, on this other uh, left sidebar, see, this is where this magazine was invaluable to me, dude. Uh, you got a list of about a dozen places to submit your work from Archie Comics all the way to uh, <laughs> Fantagraphics, which I would love a wizard writer like who has some sort of superhero, like, you know, <laughs> a, a, a grifter miniseries. 
you know, like I might not be able to publish a Scripter comic, but like maybe this script will fit with one of another comic <laughs> within your brand. Does Pete Bag want to draw my <laughs> my antihero? They don't know who Pete Bag is. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, man. When I was, when I went to the Kubert School, everybody brought their two long boxes. That's pretty much what you you could fit in a car sure. when you're when you're heading to school. And dudes looked at my boxes and were so uninterested, <laughs> so uninterested. And it would be stuff like, "You, th this costs a dollar more than real comics, and it's in black and white." Like this is from people who wanted to be in the game. Yes, this is. Uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting that submission contacts SLG at the bottom. Um, you know, I mean, that's who I sent Street Angel to, following their online guidelines, which at this time I guess they didn't have guidelines available, but. Yeah, a lot of people, it's how, how it worked. You know that number 10, be ready to compromise? It's why you do everything yourself. Yes. You know, that's that's the, the freedom and luxury of uh, doing this on your own. Absolutely. By the way, this, this Spectre page right here, imprinted in my mind, and I love uh, Tom Andrake's art. You know, yeah. he's, he's a QB. He had a lot of experience with uh, Ostrander because they drew Grim, they yeah. worked on Grim Jack together. And this is a um, blind spot in my comics reading that I since from this time have been hoping to sort of do something about because this is a pretty enticing looking page to that's me. a great page i love the way this that spew goes like across three non-grid panels yeah yeah I, I would always see that stuff too and think mandrake always looked at every time i saw his work i mean, that was a long run on specter like, yeah. you can probably find those in dollar bins and stuff mm -hmm. and for everybody keeping uh score at home there was a uh, trading card ad for cyberforce so at this point you're probably feeling it yeah <laughs> <laughs> better water down your everclear <laughs> a new spin there's going to be a spidey cartoon man this Our Confession, I have not seen one frame of this cartoon. This article kind of makes me interested in it, combining 3D backgrounds and, and the 2D traditional animation figures, but uh, I never saw any of this. Did you watch this cartoon? I did, yeah, sure. The animation was a step away from uh, the, the X-Men stuff, which is also a step down from like the Batman, but Peter Parker looked weird. That was like one thing. And they redesigned all the characters. So like uh, the Green Goblin looked kind of extra goofy like the vulture was different uh this is such a kayfabe shot to me where the guy's sitting there with his marvel masterworks and all that stuff working on a harry osborne because uh that piece right there is looking ditko-ish you know and uh there was none of that in that show but uh, but i did watch it saw most episodes do you know if it was well received because this article is before it actually airs it lasted a long time yeah yeah like so so it i i'm quite sure it hit syndication like i say this this Still, images to me look really good. Like that's pretty cool looking. I was surprised if that's uh, you know what it looks like. Yeah, that ain't what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely ain't what it looks like. I don't think any of this is what it looks like. To be honest with you, that vampire eternal struggle Another ad card is game. also cards. Yeah. <laughs> look at the quaint San Diego Comic Convention, man. Uh, the headliner, number one dude, man, is Neil Gaiman. But you got guys like. Uh, Ryoichi Ikigami is going to be at the convention. Harvey Pekar, you don't see, and, and like our extra blocks of programming, it's not Hall H, you know, Deadpool trailer release. It's Japanese animation, films, nighttime programming, gaming. It's still a comic convention in 1995. Yeah, who, who knows if Hall H is even built? I feel like they expanded that convention center you at could, some point. You could so. see the seams, man. Like, <laughs> like it expanded two, three times. Charles Burns on the list. Yeah, it's quite a quite a list. That's a, that's pretty uh, pretty cool. Roger Corman, that's the invasion of Hollywood there. 
It's yeah. the beginning. <laughs> this is one of my favorite articles uh, in all of Wizard right here. But of course, they still managed to do it wrong because they, they didn't did do some stuff wrong. They, they didn't devote enough pages for it so that we could see who the fuck. One, we need to see the full page of yeah, each of these. Exactly. And then two, I was looking at this thing last night being like, what color is this? Is this orange? Is, is this, this red, red or pink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... They had good intentions. Their heart's in the right place, but man, I would have liked six full pages of each of these guys. Let's describe it, because we have the podcast listeners out there, man. Brush off uh, why comic book inkers are not given their due. And the idea here is that uh, Greg Capullo draws a pretty cool little little comic style sci-fi ripley type image we're gonna have what is it six inkers klaus jansen gary martin ray mccarthy danny mickey jimmy palmiotti and scott williams probably some of the top anchors in the industry right at this moment they're all gonna give it give a stab at inking this uh this piece and talk about where they place their value when they uh are putting the ink nib down on the page, this Ray McCarthy fella was uh, an inker of like the uh, the Batman animated uh, comic books. So you could imagine a pretty heavy-handed brush style will probably be the default setting for for that kind of comic. Gary Martin, we covered that uh, that inking book. Uh, what is how to be an inker? Like, how to yeah something about how comics. to ink comics. And I think it's mentioned that he's working on that book, which is pretty in this cool. Article. And then, uh, of course, you have uh, Palmiati, who's who's synonymous with uh, Joe Casada mm-hmm. at this point. Scott Williams, who's the darling that a lot of uh, these studio inkers are trying to emulate. Uh, Danny Miki, probably the closest guy to hit that Scott Williams energy. And then Klaus Jansen, who is uh, the avant-garde of all of these guys, who inks with emotion rather than, uh, you know, just wondering what the light source is or whatever which by the way there's all that talk of that stuff and i don't think that uh all of these anchors are being uh honest about that i i like that that cover image you mm-hmm. know where you get like the pencils and little snippets of each anchor yeah. i just wish we would see the complete inked page from yeah. each guy yeah totally totally uh but then you wouldn't be able to get these uh, rags morales turok ads you know what i'm saying man <laughs> introduce some great concepts into my mind that there is no one right way to to handle these jobs man it's really great to me to see the different hairstyles and then also the shadow on the inside of the thigh is treated really differently by those three examples uh that's kind of interesting to me as somebody who would be trying to figure this stuff out even the background stuff you know like like the little kind of detail lost in the atmospheric perspective behind them it is cool to see this yeah yeah this is one i spent a lot of time with as a kid they spend half this article, I feel like, the inkers defending what they do. I, I wonder if... Uh, not, not being tracers. <laughs> yeah. How important their job is. And, and I think it's all true at this stage, but I don't think it's true anymore. Like, what the inkers do today, very, very different than what they were doing in the 90s and, and certainly the decades before that. I don't know about you. I, I, like, I still ink with this this old model, like, in mind. You know, certainly doing a black and white comics, like clarity sake light source all that stuff i don't it depends what i'm doing but like a lot of the street angel stuff i switched to pencil lines because it was like oh the coloring's going to pick up a lot of that a lot of the stuff that inking once did Mm -hmm. and then we launch right into a great capullo crash course man after your shot for the batman forever trading card (laughs) ad 
And uh, once again, it's more valuable stuff. Like like he is not a bad teacher. Like he's got he's got a good little course of stuff going, man. And what he's talking about here is you got a pencil for black and white line, man. Yes. So you can't be doing your soft your soft uh, smudgy shading, you know, traditional stuff that you remember doing in your sixth grade art class. Also, when it comes to lighting. These things that you're drawing, there there are planes attached to that. We talk we talk about that a lot when we take a look at a uh, comic comic art, and seeing him sort of show you these planes, this was a valuable resource for me to understand the basic masses and shapes that go into making you know a chest or a back or something, and seeing him do this, it just let's let you know that that he has a grasp. Like he might add whatever kind of du jour style is required to be popular of the day but his underneath stuff is all real solid yeah all that stuff looks 3d definitely also um good job on editorial to have this article next to that inking article yeah. like it feels like this is an extension of what we just read about inking absolutely man and uh if little eddie p still still had the same uh wizard magazine from from his day you know he inked this right in the magazine right in the magazine <laughs> I was looking at this and considered like print it out and ink it. It does look fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good explanation by Capullo. It makes me wonder if he went to school, if, if he studied comics somewhere or went, had some kind of apprenticeship or something, because it seems like uh, pretty good at breaking this information down. Yeah. And this is a good comparison because he shows the ball on the first page and it's the more like side of your pencil shading blending don't do that do this if you're going to put ink lines on it but maybe not do this exactly because that's some some uh, <laughs> scott williams looking stuff well it depends who your anchor is <laughs> what would todd mcfarland do on this right more cards i believe yes the drawing board you're going to get a piece of uh scott mcdaniel pencil work i think it looks like it yeah I did not recognize any of the uh, any of the art names in this. Doesn't mean that they didn't go on to be have some pro work, but I didn't recognize them. But man, like always, I love some of these. That's crazy looking. I don't know what that person is drawing with and getting that color. Yeah. But I really like it. It looks like plastic. It's uh, pretty impressive to me. Whatever the medium is. I feel like this image shows up in like he illustrated. It. I swear to God, this guy's <laughs> gonna swap out this little piece because like I've seen this image more than one time. Good crow for black and white, like like that's the right approach, I think, for a crow piece. I think shrunken down, man, it really sings. I would be curious to see it at its original True. size. I also like that Wonder Woman. It reminds me a little bit of like Aeon Flux or something, maybe the expression on her face. Yeah. The Age of Apocalypse is out and is a hit with uh, the fans. Yeah, always fun looking at these things. Funny, too, to see little lifts and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that letter writer in the beginning might be pissed. Might, <laughs> might be able to pull out a couple of swipes there. This contest with these Marvel cards. Taking a oh, look at these. Oh, shocking. More cards. These various things. Like, talk about plastic. Look at your boy Nelson, fellow SVA teacher's uh, painting right there. That thing looks like straight from a action figure. It reminds me a little bit of that Spider-Man, like the, the Japanese Spider-Man cover for VHS. Right. Reminds me a little bit of that. I like that Scanlan uh, approach too, with those heavy blacks for the for the muscles. Very strange. Almost though, that like Glenn Fabry, yeah. That is a that is a uh, roided up WWF era Spider Man right <laughs> yeah, there. That is a, a large Spider Man. I didn't really pull anything from this. Yeah, no. Like the only thing, like Stanley's going to be a mall rats. So yeah. so that's forthcoming. Techno Comics is trying to put out this idea that uh, Tarantino is going to do a comic for them. 
come on. Right, right. A Pulp Fiction comic, no less. And uh, he doesn't do that, obviously, but like there is Django comics that come out it's some true. years later. Yeah, I guess that's true. That Voodoo Zilla ad is, uh, I think it's penciled art. That's I kind of cool. like how that art looks, but if you look like on the legs and stuff, you can see it looks like it's pencil shaded, which is nuts to think this is pencil, some of the tighter parts of that rendering. Yeah. JRJR, interview with uh, Comic's Favorite Son, and uh, we, you know, we did a shoot interview with the guy, and kind of a lot of stuff that we talk about is, is, is in here. Yeah, I love his attitude. He's, he defers so much to that gener his father's generation of cartoonists, the guys who came before him. Still seems humble. Uh, you know, you're right. A lot of the stuff in the interview that we had with him, go go watch our interview with JRJR and, and get it right from, from his mouth directly. But interesting to hear him talking because at this point, I think he's almost 20 years into his career. He starts in 76. This is 95. And uh, interesting interesting uh, career not an easy one apparently being the uh, son of a famous artist and an art director yeah it's almost uh tully blanchard like uh he, like his his dad caught a lot of heat <laughs> with a little bit of a better ad different yeah. attitude than tully i think <laughs> <laughs> two different directions you might go yeah <laughs> uh talks about how how he ends up going to like uh ralph macchio for daredevil work and how well that goes you know it's when he first starts to uh get to do full pencils al williamson of course on inks wasn't sure what to expect out of Innocenti, and it turns out to be a really good team up. Yeah, so, so uh, it's one of cool. those uh, eras where you had two differing opinions working on the same book, and uh, you didn't take it personally. Right, yeah. Um, he mentions co-plotting A Beer with the Devil from Daredevil 266. I would love to look at something from that Daredevil run, so that's a possibility. And also, if you guys are watching at home and think there's a perfect Daredevil issue or two in that Innocenti John Romita Jr. run, let us know, because... I love that run, but it's yeah. hard to pull out one issue and be like, okay, this is where to do it. I just think of it as a whole. Yeah. The Inferno issue is special to me because I drew it. <laughs> yes. I redrew it. <laughs> Talks a little bit about the Daredevil Man Without Fear project with Miller. That's probably one we'll be looking at sooner. All, all, the, all the classic stuff to go along with it. Initially going to be a 64-pager, 80-page addendum added to it. Yeah, Two years of artwork. Between pages four and five, there was an 85-page bridge. <laughs> <laughs> this drawing, man, by both uh, John Romita's, is such a solid image, man. Yeah. Another one of those evocative pieces that has stuck in my mind, and this is where I saw it first. Yeah, it's wild to think of that as um, Romita Sr. on inks there. It feels really different for him. Yeah. But it's cool that they come together now and then on different stories, and imagine Romita senior inking your work yeah it's gonna be slick and you get a little bit of feedback from john ramita senior there in the sidebar which is is pretty fun you know it feels like both of those guys are fans of each other and it's uh it comes across it's nice that might have been the first sketch cover that gen 13 uh cover might have been man i don't remember seeing it at the time i can't remember that being a thing back then but i think those covers were hard to find and uh, it does feel like that could have been an early one yeah cast and call who gives a fuck yeah not interested in this in, at all more cards <laughs> with some goth ass type shit right a lot of goth like a lot of goth dudes were playing cards reboot the uh, brendan mccarthy cgi show getting some coverage in here an ad here for figures and then in the toy section they'll mention again those figures coming out they really tried man but that stuff was not received here in pittsburgh dude so brian polito's 
making an evil Ernie costume animatronic for shows and for uh, something to show the folks in Hollywood to try to get this movie off the ground. These images, I think, look amazing. Yeah. If that thing even looks half that good in real life, way to go. But uh, it made me think, like, I feel like Polito's a guy whose name comes up again and again with different people we talk to as being this... I don't want to say just self-promoter, but but figuring out how to sell books, and especially as an indie guy, this article to me speaks to that. He has some connection with these wizard guys. I don't know if he knows where to, how to throw the best parties, where to get the best beer. Maybe he's the one guy, you know, he's kind of like a rocker type dude. Maybe he's like the one dude in comics that could actually bring girls to, to hang out with uh, Garib Sheamus and those guys <laughs> when they come to town or something. Uh, Polito and Tucci, like, they are in these magazines so much. And they, they come from sort of nowhere. They come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you had an Eternity comic. Like, good for you. Uh, they have some extra set of skills that uh, endear them with the Wizard guys. And it seems like every month, Polito figures out some way to get yes. a couple of pages right. in a magazine that sells, you know, 200,000 copies an issue. Absolutely. Yeah, what a figure too. Like I think a previous issue we we read about like, you know, his selling books. And uh if you're an indie guy, like of course you're going to have fans that are following hanging on to every word trying to follow. Right, right, but but uh, like I still think that like it's it's Wizard that made him, you know, like in and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was hitting them up with feature ideas. I bet he was. You know, like, "Oh, how about how about a feature on self publishing? I could give you guys the full scoop." Like he just seems very progressive in that way making it very easy for the wizard editors to yeah. uh fill a couple pages if they need to like that's a two-page article that might be two pages of advertising that fell through at the last minute if your mom was like uh, at the time was like looking through your stuff and she's like saw that little moose knuckle gimmick <clears throat> that's that's uh that's pretty obscene man <laughs> there's uh quite a few of these rob liefeld cor you know the extreme studio ads in this issue too and it's kind of funny to see where they're at in 1995. <laughs> this character's name is task <laughs> <laughs> dude here's the comic that comes packaged in with uh the issue lady oh, rawhide nice. mike mayhew a lot of mid mid shot figures full figures in this thing who's publishing oh, no, that Moreto, it's tops okay you see it right there, man. That's a strange looking comic. Feels like it could be a DC toy comic. Right. It's very rough, too. Kind of like some of that rendering, but... Good move on whoever's part to get their comic in Wizard. Like you say, 200,000 copies or so of this thing selling. I bet you it, it sold more Lady Rawhides in this Wizard than any single issue of Lady Rawhide sold. This still makes... These uh, Judge Jared figures make me... Uh remember hills department store i remember seeing those things there was like a real it was in vogue to have these like little two inch figures. i was gonna ask if they were small it looks like no articulation right yeah no just like the pvc like when you would get your gi joes and and there would be like the little thing to send away for those like little pvc gi joes same deal there goes your reboot figures custom made joints zero is that dude even trying <laughs> It's the cleanest looking figure there. The Bane's pretty good. And the service looks like full Play-Doh, man, so that's, yeah, that's pretty sick. Yeah, it's a total sick. sculpt. Ed, anything stand out in this? 
In the video games? Yeah. There's a lot of announcements on here. There are a lot of games. Like, I was reading through some of these and thinking, like, did that actually come out? Yeah. Like, the... like uh, McFarlane's Spawn from Acclaim. Do you know that Oh, yeah, that, that came out awful. <laughs> so, I, I, it was definitely a Super Nintendo, but it might have also been on Genesis. Uh, the, the the big one is Virtual Boy, the item number 32, which is the, uh, the 3D uh, Nintendo system that, that bombed. It would have been at Hill's Department Store in the video game section where they were just begging you to try it, play sure. it, and buy it. I think it had five or six games to it. It was a black screen with just a, a red like wireframe art. You need to have two eyes to play to get the, the, the 3D. And boy, you're going to get a headache in, inside of 10 minutes wow. playing that stuff, man. In, if you go to Japan, like at Super Potato, they still have those things set up with a very devout uh, set of people who line up to play it. And as each person like moves off of the Virtual Boy after playing a little bit, you see them kind of dazed and reaching with their hands to try to get their bearings back. I bet. What about Lobo? Do you know if that came out, number 23? That didn't come out. Yeah, it seems like every every uh, comic book of note had at least a game mentioned at this at this place. Put it this way, it didn't come out for uh, SNES or Sega Genesis. Let's talk about PlayStation Saturn. Like, I don't think that shit came Casper out. Casper cards again, everybody. If you're getting if you're getting to the point that you can't pay attention anymore, I'll just call these card ads <laughs> out for you. These sculptures always looked real good. I could I could never imagine ever owning uh, one of these things, but I think we saw Grendel earlier that looked pretty sharp, and this looks kind of cool. But once again, what are you going to do? Yeah, turn that page and get to the real meat of the issue. <laughs> Palmer's picks, baby. Talking black hole. Issue one out here. It, how like It's crazy. I feel like issue 10 came out while we were kicking it. Absolutely. I remember buying it and Mark Zingarelli being surprised that like, you, you guys are you buying that? <laughs> uh, it felt like at that point, one issue a year was, it was coming yeah. out like one issue a year or so. It might have been a little bit faster, but I think it was close to 10 years for that issue, yeah. for that series to roll out in total. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just laying out the, the, the groundwork for, for the thing, man. Uh, which it, it must, for Charles Burns himself to do like a whole comic must have felt a little daunting because he just didn't do that. A page here, page there, played with this theme of Teen Plague in a couple other places. That one issue of uh, Raw, that back cover, you know, it's one image. Uh, but now, you know, he's expanding on that comic. And when you read it, it's such a tight it's like man like it was it was all there from the beginning so like did that part happen first did you write the complete script things happen later that sort of pay off from things that were set up at the beginning and it's a it's a pretty tight story it does make me curious how he worked on that story yeah um, i have a comics journal interview with him I'm trying to think when it's from it must be the late 90s so he probably gets into process a little bit but I would be very curious about that uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned. You know, he does seem like a different voice in comics, so it does make me curious about the process. He speaks about how he would do more longer form stuff, but using his weekly strip to do so. And I remember uh, you and I, like, he came up to us at TCAF, we were talking to him, and I asked him specifically, like, what did that look like? Uh, these these strips because they're kind of seamless when you read El Borba mm -hmm. or Dog Boy or something like you don't you don't see where one would end and when the other would begin and if you remember he just said I would do four panels and like so like the page would be cut off like I, I would just do four panels and that's what people would get to see each week uh, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be clean man that had to be such a weird reading experience yeah uh, as Tom Palmer does, he asks for recommendations, 
and as Charles Burns does, man, is very thoughtful about it and can't give any answers right off the bat. Gets back in touch with them. Mentions some heavy hitters, dude. Paul Astor's City of Glass, adapted by Paul Karasik and Magic Kelly. Acme Novelty Library, especially the issues featuring Jimmy Corrigan by Chris Ware. Drawn in Quarterly, the anthology, edited by Chris Oliveros. Uh, Self-Loathing Comics is is out there. Robert Crumb, Alien, uh, Kaminsky Crumb, and sometimes uh, Sophie pops in there. And Adrian Tomina's Optic Nerve from Drawn and Quarterly. I think it's issue number two of Self-Loathing Comics where Crumb is going to, uh, I, I think it's Angoulême. Mm-hmm. You know this issue? Uh, and and uh, he meets up with Pipoplowski, which whatever, Art Spiegelman, and Charles Burns, and they each draw themselves. It's a pretty cool jam comic. Yeah, it could be a fun one to look at. It's funny you say Pete Poplaski because we're going to look at a piece of his art this week. <laughs> Weird coincidence, Ed. Yes. Yeah, man, these, these Palmer's picks, it's incredible to think that, that that's where a lot of people saw Charles Burns work for the first time. Leah Hernandez, uh, manga scene. Anime and manga myths debunked in this thing and uh this is such a time capsule because i remember all of these statements and all, yep. all of these arguments one anime and manga all look the same and you know you see those big eyes you immediately associate it people with... still say it today and it man it sounds bad yeah <laughs> yeah totally uh two anime is all six sex uh three anime is all violent four I'd say just the good anime. <laughs> yeah. All the Miyazaki fans have turned this off. <laughs> Four, anime and manga are all originally brain-blasting, brain-blastingly brilliant, but are always translated into crap. That was certainly the case at the, of the day, I feel like, man. Even the, even the Miyazaki stuff was getting chopped up and uh, turned, turned into mush. When, when I worked at that video store, there was like a real push think like my neighbor Totoro was like one of the you would have we had a big poster of that um and the translation at that time man real weak five Japanese animation and comics aren't protected by American copyright laws that feels like a little bit of padding like you, you need to have a list that's a nickel a dime list and uh we got to get a fifth one in there because like who gives a fuck you know like but she's talking about how like at this time like the only way to get your hands on a lot of that stuff was that black clamshell case that you would find at um the comic conventions dude where they had like fan translations yeah she goes through and talks about that and it's uh it's it's not just that but also like t-shirts you know just all this stuff that has these characters licensed characters that weren't licensed all over them and it does kind of make me think like this is an ongoing conversation like you go to a convention now and you'll see those booths with all kinds of licensed material that is not licensed so it's an ongoing thing and i mean it's probably worse now than than it's ever been and uh it's not just japanese animation and comics now it's it's virtually everything is fair game at those places but there's a a thing in this article where torn smith talks about like some of the stuff that like oh my goddess there's stuff that they did not translate because so much of it had been bootlegged already and they thought it would it would hurt their market um, so that would be the effect that they're calling out here. Kind yeah. of interesting to hear a professional say that. It, it, there's there's more of a conversation to have there too, where like certain stuff like Kinnikuman, because of actually using American rights, like Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. Stan Hansen, like Dusty all Rhodes. all these people, Terry Funk, 
like that will never be translated that will never come here so the only way to read it is scanlations it goes back and forth it does for sure i don't think it's a uh, cut and dried argument especially now like scanlation i mean it's probably bigger now than it's ever been sure picks of the month giant robo this is like the chris pitzer era of um comic fans know about giant robo you see like the big toys in the kind of samurai sh uh warrior what are they called man the uh they're like the Shogun Warrior, mm. Mazinger size, giant robos, and like old dudes. I've never toy, seen giant robo. You ever see any of it? No, like the like the I've, description sounds really good here, and I bet it doesn't look as cool as this right here. <laughs> Probably not. I used to be so like insane about this shit, man, because of course I wasn't into like the big eyeballs nonsense. But like after you see Ninja Scroll, and like you set that as like your top barrier, it's hard to find anything close. Right. And the manga is uh, Dirty Pair by Adam Warren. Yeah, good stuff. Cards, cards, cards. I love that there's Waterworld cards. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. <laughs> Card price guides. Comic Watch, man. Uh, Tales of the Teen Titans 44. I believe it's uh, first uh, Nightwing. Yes. 1984. Uh... It's that Judas Contract stuff. Do you have all the Judas Contract issues? I Pro have the probably first not two. this one. I don't have this one. Yeah, yeah, this is probably. Yeah, weird. I actually uh, looked uh, after uh, reading this. Uh, 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 was it a, a Rocky? Yeah, Rocky. Like hard to pull this one out of the dollar bins now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Good and Cheap Marvel Fanfare issue eighteen, uh, which has that Frank Miller Captain America story by uh, written by Roger Stern and that uh, set of Kevin Nolan pinups with Terry Austin in the back. Uh, I've had this pulled as an ep as a potential episode for two years. Yeah, I think we'll do it next week. <laughs> I added it to my list. <laughs> Picks from the Wizard's Hat, Wonder Woman uh, 101. John Byrne up front is like, you know, you could just take the first two numbers off, man. This is a Wonder Woman number one. Creates a whole universe for her to operate in. Central City, kind of like a San Francisco. Just set, sends her running, man. It's it's a uh, it's superhero comic. Lots of punching, lots of that kind of thing. She ain't gonna be Diana Prince much in the John Byrne Wonder Woman comic. I'm very curious to revisit this because this was a book at the time I was into Byrne. I bought this book. I got rid of it when I purged, and now I'm kind of curious to go back and uh, check it out again. Yeah, yeah. I still ha I still have my run, man. And I had a subscription, so they all have that seam down the middle as they were oh, shoved man. into my uh, <laughs> mailbox. Nightwing 1, that is not the uh, Scott McDaniel uh, issues. That'll come later. This is a mullet-headed uh, Nightwing. Good tie into the uh, the comics watch. Well done again, editorial team. Big Guy Rusty Boy Robot, issue number one, going to be on the stands. Man, that's a fun one. Did a video on that. Great Jeff Darrow. The wait is over. This Madman Comics uh, issue eight cover that's colored by Dave Cooper, which is super noteworthy to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never seen that cover before. That's really cool. I can't believe Magnus Robot Fighter issues fifty seven, fifty eight, and they're still selling it here. Come yeah. on, Wizard, <laughs> be real. Superman versus Aliens number three, the Kevin Nolan Dan Jurgens team up. Spawn Blood Feud is going to be on the horizon, man, with football head, hash mark. It's interesting Spawn that things are sort of going downhill for comics fast, but when you go through like the more picks, 
it's Spawn 34 and Spawn Blood Feud. Like, they're ganging up several of these books. You know, all the Spidey books, all the Superman books. Like, there's so much stuff coming out at this time as cells are just plummeting. Yeah. I guess the momentum from uh, the previous couple of years, you know, is paying off here. That chapel number one, art by Calvin Irving, like, clearly I think you can see the death blow uh, influence there. Kind of an interesting look. You know, anybody that was doing the f derivative of Frank Miller's Sin City stuff, I enjoyed taking a peek at. Yeah, but you ain't gonna say nothing about that Stephen Platt uh, crypt number one right down there, dude? That, that looks like pr Primo Platt. Good Platt, but not on the interiors. Yeah, Robert Napton, Shelby Robertson. I see what you guys are doing to us. I'm wise to this game right now. Yeah, they're doing the Vertigo bait and switch with their covers. Top 10 comics. I, I have every single one of these uh, that we could do episodes on with the exception of X-Files 1 and Lady Death 1. Interesting. We could do She 1. We could do X-Men Alpha 1. Both sets of Gen 13 issue number ones. We could do that. <laughs> Weapon X 1, I got you. X-Man, got you. Shots of Steve Scross. And you know I got all those She's. <laughs> quarter been fines yeah man i see but, but you know it's so funny because like these things in wizard were always pumped up as like super valuable so when i'm doing my quarter bin hunts and i see the she's yeah i still have wizard in my mind i hear you same <laughs> and i'm like i gotta scoop it up it's worth 40 dollars um noteworthy for x files is charles adlard on the art yeah because he draws i don't know 40 issues or so of this you know very dependable looks good nails the likenesses and stuff and of course everybody knows him from walking dead doing i don't know 180 issues or something successfully but uh that x files run is uh it was hot for a while it was popular i recently bought a big run of these for a friend of mine's daughter is into x files and anytime a friend of mine wants anything comics i'm excited to be able to deliver so i ended up finding like a big run of that series uh, recently in a dollar bin Adler could get that work in on time, man. I didn't realize that uh, Chris Warner helped on the Weapon X. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Probably on the Ink Chops. Spawn, Blood Feud, and Spawn 33 taking your top two spots in the top 100 comics. When you see this right there, I guess I guess maybe per unit sold, McFarlane's making more money on his toys or whatever. But, you know, he waits now to create five different titles or whatever. It's like a title that could come out each week. Because he's clearly got the recipe for what 90s kids want to look at. It is interesting, you know. I, I don't know if he would ever talk about the real reasons behind, like, choosing now to expand the spawn line or choosing last year, I guess, to expand the spawn line. But I would be curious, like, what he saw in comics that was suddenly, now's the time to do it that way. Yeah. Wizard Top 10 Hottest Artist and Top 10 Hottest Writers. These are, uh, this is, like... FBI most wanted for like <laughs> where where mid nineties nobody ever comics. heard of a headshot <laughs> mid nineties <laughs> comics uh, read the way they do because of these individuals right here they are to blame the uh, contrast between Neil Gaiman and Peter David is amazing <laughs> <laughs> it could be dude I mean let, let's just spitball that could be a kind of a Billy Batson kind of gimmick <laughs> I don't know who turns to who. There are some writers on this list, man. Wow. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, you know you know, Ron Moores and Dan Jurgens are that uh, Patrick Daniel O'Neill choices. You know, he's in the back like, guys, I got to get a couple in here too, man. Red it's Green interesting. Lantern. You know, like Scott Lobdow and, and Fabian Nicieza for, I guess, their X work. Brandon Choi, Gen 13. Like, these are books that are selling well, but I don't remember, like, anything story-wise sticking or Z being like a, a big high point for yeah, these runs. Yeah, zero of it stood the test of time. I like that Burns on there and it's just upcoming. <laughs> <laughs> like it really is 
to some extent, certainly with these writers, you're looking at the luckiest men in comics, with the exception of, you know, Gaiman, Moore, Jeff Smith. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time capsule for sure. <laughs> it's funny to read these knowing in hindsight how things shake out, and it just feels like, man, the people at Wizard... I, like, I don't think anybody in comics knew exactly what was happening at this point. Oh, no, yeah. It's like, so random, like, know, what gets spotlighted and, and, and what doesn't. You know how it is when you're in it. You know, you need that that retrospect. Hindsight 2020. X-Men Madarera, but show an image that is not Joe... I would be pissed off if I was Joe Mad, actually. You know? Yeah, that's a funny image. Like, what if that said rug? I'd be and, pissed and, off and, if and, I was a Gambit fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I have to say, like, when we were kids, and I had this thing, and my brother saw a constipated Howard Chicken, whenever, like an issue of my American flag would be like laying on the on the floor in the bedroom or something he would go like a constipated Howard Chicken <laughs> and like hung out with Uncle Howie like a month ago and it still comes into mind a constipated Howard Chicken like they did not do <laughs> no. our guy a favor none of right these there. creator headshots are ever any good like this is just a different era yeah and they're all from conventions like you yes. saw that Paul Chadwick it has his name badge on so they're just out and about uh, Miracle Man is still a $2 book. Miracle Man number 15. Like, it will be in the good and cheap section, and then that's when you're going to start to see it skyrocket. There's definitely some things at play there. Gareth Sheamus bought the warehouse or something. <laughs> There's some inside scoop. I think the only thing there is the, uh, the, the ego column by McFarlane. Yeah, one cool thing uh, with the, uh, the Wizard VIPs and mm. networkers is uh, these are the guys that they kind of uh, crowdsource some of the uh, price guide ebbs and flows with and uh todd from new dimension is mentioned as being one of these vip guys and there are some names that that you you recognize uh just as like you know the great comics retailers um throughout history chris foss is mentioned like that's a name that has come up in conversations that that we've had with people yeah it's interesting todd todd mcdivitt and sam pistachio I, i've never heard that name before yeah he bought out sam pistachio man yeah apparently <laughs> There's a Emerald City Comics and Collection listed there, too, in Florida, and that's a store that I go to, and I actually ran into Pomiati there one time. That's fun, man. <laughs> it's, good. it's cool that it's still around. You know, yeah. like they made some of the right decisions. Like, if they existed in these tumultuous 1990s, and they still are around, oh, yeah. then, they're, then they're in it for real. You know, they, they didn't just believe the speculation. Absolutely. Bone to Pick, uh, today's ego column by Todd McFarlane, where he's talking about how Bone... Is, Jeff Smith's Bone comic is going to be an image comic. What that means, the ramifications of that, what that brings to the table, and some of the stuff that he hears from fandom, people who are like, I would have thought that Bone would be like a classy at a classy publisher like like Dark Horse, not not Image, because it is so divorced from what Image Comics is as we know it. Uh, you know, like the only stuff that you could point to that is anything like. Bone would be the Megaton Man crossovers and like Stupid by Hilary Barda. Like, what else is there? Boof and the Bruise Crew? Yeah, all of those even feel like a pretty far stretch, too. Yeah. But it's just the, the market realities of, uh, of, of the day, man. This is gonna, like, Jeff Smith ha has, has a vision for this comic, 
And one of the ways to, to sort of see it through is to get a little extra help through this weird period of distribution woes. Yeah, McFarland's laying some of this stuff out. It's now important to be associated with someone that will ultimately stick around for more than just a while. Uh, you know, how long will, will some of these distributors stay in business? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a real uncertain time. McFarland's pretty raw in, in some of his... Uh, some of this column, you know, talking about this stuff, I think he's very sour on this Marvel deal. I think everybody maybe was, but we're cautious. Like, how hard can Wizard go against Marvel? You know, I mean, it's one of their big partners in a way. Um, but McFarlane, you know, is kind of laying it out what I think everybody was saying and thinking at the time. Like, this this was going to really disrupt comics. Yeah. At the very least. And who knows? Maybe, maybe even more destructive than that. Um, he does end up with, I wish all independent small press publishers a lot of luck as well as to the fans that collect their books. For the publishers, it's going to be tough to survive. Uh, but all you guys are welcome to come over to Image, because that's what we're all about, a haven for talent. I bet they got some calls that they didn't return. Oh, totally. <laughs> to absolutely. He's a businessman. Yeah. He'll work that kayfabe. And uh, we end with uh, Carl Kessel. My takeaway from this is, uh, I didn't realize it, but his first writing gig was with Rob Liefeld on art for Hawk and Dove. That's cool. Yeah, I thought he had been an established writer at that point, so that was his first time. Up to then, I think he was an inker, uh, just pitching ideas. And then he and his wife co-write that Hawk and Dove, and of course, we all know Rob Liefeld, so kind of a fun fun origin story. I just saw Liefeld tweet about these, uh, about uh, Carl and Barbara, and a very positive tweet about working with them on Hawk and Dove. So I don't know if that's an anniversary of Hawk and Dove has come up or what, but uh, apparently... He enjoyed the experience. I had those issues pulled yes. and ready to go, man, to look at that early era... Uh, Rob Liefeld, also another set of comics that in the Wizard Price Guides uh, at the time when Rob was super, super hot, uh, the price for those Hawking Doves were pretty extreme, uh, no pun intended, uh, but you know, I got two sets from the, quarter, <laughs> from the quarter bins. Yeah, I paid a quarter for those not too long ago either. <laughs> yeah, man. There it is, dude. Wizard 48 still has some life in it with some of these how-to articles and things, man. They were talking about uh, in an earlier issue how... Uh, the response to certain things like uh, articles about copyright and trademark and self-publishing did really well. So they show up with some of these cool tutorial things. There are going to be f future cool ones, man. Once Todd Klein does his whole piece on, on lettering, there's a Randy Bowen, how to sculpt the fucking Boba Fett. That's pretty sick. This is all new territory for me, man. This is my first read of Wizard 48, and, and it will be going forward on any of these issues we continue to cover. So uh, I'm glad to hear there's some good stuff ahead, Ed. Oh, but don't you worry. <laughs> it will be slim pickings on my Charles Dickens also, man. Good to go? Yes. Kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Cartoonist Kayfabe Comic Book Christmas in July is the very last Saturday in July. We want you to go take your comic book doubles and put those in those free lending libraries uh, inside uh, your neighborhood and local townships. Jimmy, what do you got out there? Hulk Grand Design Monster and Madness are in stores now, and I am preparing the Treasury Collection for Marvel, uh, probably this week sending it off to Marvel. And I mention it because those original issues in the Treasury, I probably made 50 changes between that first, uh, first go-round. So if you're somebody that's into process, or if you want those original issues intact, pick those up now while supplies last. You can still get those at a good comic book shop. And uh, join me on patreon.com slash jimrug, where you can see a lot more of my comics art and how I make the comics I make. Red Room Trigger Warnings, uh, issue one, two, three, and four on the stands as we speak. Trade paperback coming to you live in September. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game in Red Room Comics. 
Uh, every issue is completely self-contained, so if you see an issue, scoop it up. If you want them all, you can get that trade paperback uh, that is forthcoming. Uh, if you want to read these comics today, go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor. In my link tree in the description below, you'll find the links to uh, order and pre-order these comics to the Patreon. Uh, it is banned in 28 countries. It is banned in more than 10 comic shops. So you'll be able to get your hands on the, uh, the comics that way. What else do we have out there, Jim? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. That's another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Jimmy, given those marching orders, we'll be on our way. Make more comics.